0: really entrepreneurship should be presented as an opportunity to help people on a larger scale to me I was presented with maybe nursing or physio or all of these areas where you could help people but actually entrepreneurship you can change people's lives on a massive scale that you might not be able to do as an individual.
1: The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. When you combine a passion with a profession, often you're on to a winner. But when Kira Clancy became a physiotherapist, she quickly realised that her ability to help patients was limited by time. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright and today, Kira Clancy of Beats Medical will tell me how she transformed physiotherapy for the digital age.
0: These were therapies they'd done for years, assessments they'd done for years. We were just making an incremental change to deliver them through technology in the home.
1: Her objective in life was to help other people, but when the reality of physiotherapy became clear, Kira realised she couldn't help them as much as she'd hoped.
0: More people needed to know about this, and to do that I needed to build a business. So I made a list of all the skills I didn't have, and it was pretty long because I think I was 24 at the time, and uh, found a board of individuals and advisors who could support me
1: But even the best of ideas must first overcome the skeptics
0: when i started i was convinced that the business model was we're going to sell into hospitals you know they're going to bite our hand off for this this is helping people get therapy at home every day reclaim their independence i mean this makes sense they didn't want to know us
1: but when your business is something as noble as beats you know you're working for a higher cause
0: I don't think as a manager I could ever motivate a team any more than, you know, someone coming in and saying, I want to say goodnight to my grandchildren and them to understand me. That's incredibly motivating.
1: Today, Beats Medical is helping patients with Parkinson's all over the world and bringing digital therapy to others too. Kira Clancy, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. it's really interesting. You know, so many of the people we've met in this series are people who've, who've pursued a passion. And for you, this kind of study of human movement goes back to a a childhood hobby isn't that right
0: yeah absolutely um so for me i used to dance from when i was a young age and movement brought me so much joy um just being able to move freely to music or whatever that was and uh it was in my teens when i witnessed the impact uh, that physiotherapy had on people who struggled to move whether that was because of neurological conditions like parkinson's disease or stroke these symptoms and these conditions took their ability to move freely to the shops again with ease um, and made it very hard to get their independence back and witnessing that physio you know wasn't a drug or a pill it was something you could do with your hands or instruction that would help people move with ease again and that was something I knew I wanted to pursue.
1: So you say you saw that in your teens what exactly did you see?
0: So I was volunteering for a physiotherapist at the time and I witnessed um, people with neurological conditions come in, particularly Parkinson's disease, which struck me the most, um, with short shuffling steps and freezing stuck on the spot, unable to move. And with physiotherapy techniques, techniques like metronome therapy, which is like a beat or sound wave that helps people to move, or instruction, you could help a person with Parkinson's take those steps, overcome that shuffling feeling, and really reclaim their independence. And that to me was something really special. And I knew that that's what I wanted to pursue and went on to teach dance to people with Parkinson's and then go on to be a physio. And I think for me, it was very much about, you know, people with neurological conditions deserve to live independent lives and physio plays a real role in that and really that's all I ever wanted to do I I didn't plan to go into entrepreneurship Uh, certainly wasn't the kind of kid building businesses on the side from the age of five and setting up lemonade stands (laughs) I really just wanted to become a physio and help people
1: Yeah. What was it though about dance or what are the lessons that uh, I suppose physios or anyone who really needs to work on their their own movement for whatever reason be it an injury or be it a neurological condition like, like Parkinson's What are the lessons you can bring in from from the art of dance?
0: Well, I never thought the two, physiotherapy and dance, ever really interlinked uh, until years later when I did start to work with a particular therapy called metronome therapy. So this is like a beat or sound wave that helps people with neurological conditions, particularly Parkinson's disease, to move. So if you imagine when we step, there's a signal that goes off, almost like a beat or sound wave that goes step, step, step. But in Parkinson's disease, that's impaired. When you give them a metronome or a beat, you give them back that signal to move again. So like that, through their ear, they hear a noise and their feet start to move with ease. Metronome therapy is like the concentrated form of music and dance. And in a way, they ended up interlinking. But at the time, I loved to dance and I was passionate about physio and movement was the common denominator but i n- never thought my two fields would pass
1: so that that metronome ther- therapy is the very core of your your first product with yeah. with beats medical um but i think you were saying it's it's kind of fu- a fundamental treatment or a kind of a core therapy for anyone who is suffering from from parkinson's is that right because you worked for a number of years in phys- as a professional physiotherapist after you qualified um in, in, in working in hospitals is that right
0: Yeah, I worked for quite a short time, actually, outside uh, of my training when I graduated as a physio. And it was really in the early stages uh, that I really felt like I was falling short, that there were all these clinically proven treatments for speech and fine hand movement and walking that were really, you know, proven by years of research available in hospitals, but people still struggled at home. People with Parkinson's still froze, you know, in their doorways at home, but they walk well in the hospital. And it was really in that time that I said, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not doing everything I set out to do, and I decided that maybe we could look at pairing technology with the evidence and bring these treatments into people's home, so that in they trying to set up Beats Medical to provide metronome therapy for people with Parkinson's. It's re-
1: it's really interesting. It's not something I, I, I'd even heard of before um, looking into your story. This idea—I mean, we, we've all kind of seen people with with Parkinson's, and most people probably have a fairly rudimentary understanding of the symptoms. They think it's about not being able to move properly and maybe having the having the shakes, basically. But this idea that it's—is it, it, if I'm not wrong, a case that people kind of almost forget how to walk they can still do it but they need something to, to trigger the, the rhythm that's what the metronome gives them.
0: Yeah well I suppose with neurological conditions it's not necessarily an issue with the legs or the hands or the mouth it's the messaging to the brain to speak or the messaging to the legs to move and that's really where digital therapeutics which is using technologies to provide signals to speak more clearly or to walk more easily can really replace where signals are defective and enable people to overcome some of those symptoms and that's kind of led to the core of Beats Medical, which started with Parkinson's disease and has grown much broader in the digital therapeutic space to treat other neurological conditions with the same sort of issues around speech, fine hand movement, and walking.
1: Hmm. Just talk to me about the, that early moment, those early part of your career in the hospital, uh, you know, deploying this treatment, seeing how effective it was, and then that brainwave happening for you that said, "There's nothing that necessarily confines us to a hospital."
0: Yeah, well, I remember the exact moment that I decided I wanted to find Beats Medical. Um, a person with Parkinson's disease was coming into me for this metronome therapy and in a hospital, and he was 20 minutes late. And I went out to find him stuck frozen at the main entrance. And, you know, this was happening everywhere he went, every door he went through. And I knew that when he came into clinic, he walked very well with metronome therapy. But he'd go home and this would persist. And it was at that point that I said, this is just... I can't go 20 years into my career and not try. I need to find a way of bringing this treatment into the home. And that's when I decided to step out of my career as a physio, volunteer with a Parkinson's charity to understand needs outside of the hospital. And really, you know, that's, I suppose, how Beats Medical was born. I mean, that sounds simple because it took about two years to actually figure <laughs> out how to do that. Um, but when we did do it, when we did crack the ability to provide it, in the home every day it was instant we knew we'd gotten it and it was about building a business from
1: and home. we're not looking for the quick version of the story here so talk to me in a bit more detail about you know how you made that leap and what the challenges were in creating this, this, this platform this app um, I and mean, is it just something so simple as, as having an app that has that tick-tock of a metronome and in in its sound or or is there something more to it
0: no so there's a lot more to what we decided to develop which is a core technology around individualized assessment and treatment so first of all we had to figure out how to assess people with neurological conditions so they move differently than an average adult and smartphone sensors have gotten more sophisticated but they over underestimate movement or speech or you know even a movement of a hand on a phone in people with neurological conditions so we had to develop a core technology that could create correctly assess altered movement patterns then take that data and prescribe the correct beat or the correct therapy that applied to that condition so the first year or two was spent in trying to figure out how to assess and the second um, that was correct that led to correct prescription of treatments so it was really around understanding altered movement patterns and using smartphone sensors to detect that and that's kind of what took the, the two years.
1: And, well I mean who did you bring in to help you because I mean your expertise was in uh, applying this therapy mm-hmm. um, how did you uh, you know close the gap of, of, of translating that into uh into the platform you've created who did you have to bring in?
0: So there was a lot of pen and paper stuff at the start developing and designing I then brought on a chief medical officer uh, who's a medical doctor and a close friend of mine who shared my vision I suppose for wanting to impact on a greater scale and we worked very closely from the physio side and the medical side of what was needed and then it was really about trialing and testing the technology and that's where actually people with Parkinson's played a really important role you know they would come in week after week and it wouldn't work and they'd go don't worry we, we believe in you we'll try again next week we'll come in tomorrow you'll get there and that belief was hugely important particularly in the prototype stage where what you do doesn't look great you know it, it just work, just about works or may not work having people who would test with you and come in and really back it and believe that it was possible made a huge difference just getting to that stage well
1: I guess they've invested interest obviously in, in having it work and, and, and an understanding of, of how how it helps and a desire to see that's uh, helping the wider kind of community of people who, who suffer from Parkinson's. Yeah
0: absolutely and I think for me when we cracked the ability to provide the technology I think that's when the pressure really set in because people with Parkinson's were using it to help with their walking and they relied on it and now maybe 20-30 people knew about it and that was kind of the same as staying a physio. And I knew that I had to turn this into a scalable and successful business for it to have an impact. And at that point, I had no business experience, having not planned this for many years as a child or anything like that. And that's where I I realized that one of our users, he walked from the bottom of the UK to the top using the technology in the very early stages. And, you know, he walked over 630 miles, something we didn't think possible. But I met him on the last leg of the walk and, you know... I realized kind of coming back on the plane from what this was an incredible achievement from uh, John that, you know, it needed to be found, more people needed to know about this. And to do that, I needed to build a business, which meant getting experience that I wasn't going to get overnight. I mean, I wasn't going to get 25 years business experience overnight. So I made a list of all the skills I didn't have. And it was pretty long because I think I was 24 at the time and uh, found a board of individuals and advisors who could support me, um, but also who had that 25 years experience in building multinationals or telecoms and could come on board and, and expand the impact.
1: It's, it's a detail that, you know, it, it could be easily glossed over. You were just 24 hmm. and I suppose you had this idea, which in, in, in many ways, and I'm sure you probably are seeing it already, could, could shake up an entire, I don't necessarily call it an industry because people aren't doing it for profit necessarily, hmm. but it is an industry in a way.
0: I certainly think I think digital therapeutics is an industry, and I think you know you've got the pharma industry, which is really much focused on drugs and um, a really important part of our whole healthcare system. But digital therapeutics, I think, has the opportunity to be an industry into itself, either by pairing itself with a drug or by being an entity to itself. I do think that in the future we will see many of our drugs, whether that's for diabetes or Parkinson's, being paired with digital therapeutics to either address the symptoms you have along with the uh, the drugs or medication or to enhance the impact of that medication. And I really do think that digital therapeutics can be, you know, a for-profit business driven for good um, with a social drive behind it that can really impact lives. And I really think that's, you know, where you can make real impact is... Uh, drawing a successful business that does good
1: you talk about what you needed to do uh, in terms of first you identified all the skills you didn't have and then you went about finding people with those skills and asking their advice Uh, did any of them tell you it was a bad idea or that it couldn't or shouldn't be done
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're doing something different, people should. I mean, when I started, I was convinced that the business model was we're going to sell into hospitals. You know, they're going to bite our hand off for this. This is helping people get therapy at home every day, reclaim their independence. I mean, this makes sense. They didn't want to know us back in 2014. Uh, It didn't look like a drug. It didn't look like a pill. It didn't look like how you treated neurological conditions. Um, But the patients we tested with, they said, don't make us wait we're willing to pay for this now. So we brought it to market B2C. And I would say in the last 12 months, we've seen a total shift in the industry. We work with uh, major industries in the B2B space. Our business is primarily B2B now. And we see everything from pharma to insurance companies embracing our technology, partnering or reimbursing for it. 12 months ago, that, that wouldn't have even been possible. And I think it was just about holding out for that moment that really innovation in healthcare became a need to have. Not necessarily a nice to have anymore
1: those those naysayers though um, were they genuine skeptics or were they perhaps people who saw their you know their livelihoods under threat from from a digital alternative? were they, were there, were, there, were there some physios out there who said, actually no, I need people to to come through my office for an hour a week and I'll take whatever uh, money it is from them or their insurance.
0: I think it's easy to see it that way. But I suppose for us, we have never claimed or uh, planned to replace specialist care. The reality is we don't have enough health professionals in the world to treat our ageing population. What we want to do is make sure that specialists spend time on the specialist stuff and everything else takes place at home. So really, we augment their care and we build upon it. And really, what I think helped us get support from clinicians in the early stages was that we weren't doing anything necessarily different. These were therapies they'd done for years, assessments they'd done for years We were just making an incremental change to deliver them through technology in the home. So rather than coming out with something totally new that was going to make a change, it was that thing you know that works, here it is just delivered in a cost-effective way. And that brought a swell of support for us. And it just allows you to make sure that when you're with your therapist or you're with your specialist, you focused on where the real skills are needed and you go home and work independently at home. 99% 99% of of care takes place at home for people with chronic diseases. Hmm. That's where we step in.
1: How many patients are you, you know, uh, uh, working with right now? How many are using your your products and, and uh, what's the potential i suppose for to 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 grow further, do you think?
0: I think really digital therapeutics and particularly the areas we work in uh, we have some areas in paediatric, adults and we're still developing in various other neurological spaces there's over a billion people with neurological conditions in the world Um, it's estimated that all of us will be impacted by them either indirectly or directly and this is something that beats medical will continue to work and i don't think we'll move outside the neurological space it's such a big job to do and but through partnering with other um organizations as well to expand that impact in different disease areas i think we can make a real dent on the world of people with neurological conditions i mean i want my children my grandchildren to know that if they get a chronic disease or if they get a neurological disease they'll be given a tool to help take control and it won't be all of it but it'll be a significant part of that picture and I would like to continue to build a business into the future that grows to be, I don't know, the Pfizer of digital therapeutics. I think there is a space for that.
1: You were uh, mentioning before that this whole business, this whole enterprise is born out of being frustrated that you couldn't help people, uh, as many people as you hoped you, you, you'd be able to. Um, how has that changed now with, with you know, the amount of people that your, um, your products are now helping?
0: It's amazing. I mean, you know, in clinic, I could have helped maybe 15, 20 people a day. Now we can help tens of thousands of people around the world and potentially millions around the world every morning. That's a dream come true, but it's not a dream that I imagined when I was a kid. But it's certainly something that we will continue to chase, that bigger vision of seeing how many people with neurological conditions we can support in living their lives.
1: And can you remember a time maybe when you weren't Mm -hmm. able to help a patient in the way that uh, you wanted to? And and I suppose contrast that with your experience today.
0: Yeah. Um. So about two and a half years in, we had a person with Parkinson's transition into the later stages of the disease. So at that point, we only had treatment for walking, and you know we'd made such an impact to his life. But unfortunately, he was in later stages and uh, had transitioned to a wheelchair due to a setback that he had. We couldn't help him anymore, and it was just devastating to see that you know you'd gotten this far and it doesn't cure it you know it just helps you manage the symptoms as they present so it's a degenerative condition people do get worse over time but he was a singer and he really spoke about how speaking to his grandchildren and singing were really important to him but he'd lost his ability to speak clearly and his grandchildren would run away when he spoke to him because he spoke so low because of his parkinson's and he said do you have anything for speech and i said leave it with us and uh We worked with speech therapists and researched and expanded the product range to provide treatment for speech and uh, handwriting as well, fine hand movement, and brought it back to him. And, you know, it was this one patient who, who, you know, there was many, there was a groundswell of individuals who were asking for more, but this patient really drove that forward. And... I remember coming back to him and he said, oh, it's great. It's really good. And he was speaking to his grandchildren and the whole lot. And he wrote the Christmas cards that year. And then he just said, any chance of a cure? (laughs) You know, they they push you. And, you know, these stories, they, they matter. And for me, it's why I work, you know, to the point that I do... We try not to let a week go by in Beats Medical where we don't bring a person with a neurological condition that we're working on, whether that's Alzheimer's, stroke, Parkinson's, dyspraxia, into the office so that whether you work in design or marketing, you know who and what and why you're working for it. You know that if you're fixing a button because John can't use it because of tremor that you spent two weeks on that so John can come in next week and use that button with ease I don't think anything can be more motivating than that and I don't think as a manager I could ever motivate a team any more than you know someone coming in and saying I want to say goodnight to my grandchildren and them to understand me that's incredibly motivating and you know, you can do that in a business that if you can, I suppose, as we grow, it'll be a challenge to maintain that culture. But it's something that's very core to why I do what I do. And I hope that it continues to stay core to why the whole team continues to do what they do.
1: An incredible motivation. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, has there, I wonder, though, been a time where you really weren't able to help someone? And I wonder if that provided its own type of motivation.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I mean, we can't cure it we can't cure any neurological conditions all we can do is try and help people have the tools to take control now and you do meet people you know with all of these multiple even rare genetic neurological conditions which have poorer outcomes you want to do more and you wish you could cure it but it's not our focus all we can do is give people the tools to take control now and i think for me if cures are ever found for these neurological conditions, they probably won't reverse them. They'll stop them in their tracks. So the better and the more well you are when you get to that point, that'll matter because that'll that'll be what'll change the rest of your life. So by working with other companies and partnering with other companies who might be working on a cure or these things, we can really continue to, to come together in that time and that wait for, you know, ultimately these these changes can happen for neurological conditions. We need to help people live well now. And yeah, it's it's tough when you see it. It's tough when you know that you've gone as far as you can go. Um, but I don't know, it still drives you to say digital biomarkers could, these are things that indicate disease severity. Gathering large data on that could give us indicators as to why conditions happen and how they happen. And that could then add to the value of what helps us find cures to these
1: conditions. You're obviously very uh, attuned to the importance of, of what it is that you do. Is there any part of you that needs to kind of develop almost an emotional detachment to let you focus on on on, on the numbers and the business that are you know essential to, to actually turn this into something that has? staying power
0: Mm. i think it is about creating a team around you that has balanced skills and skill sets so you know i have advisors and teams around me who see the business angle you know and i think it really is about the drive and the vision behind it you've got to have on the tough days you've got to have a bigger picture of what you're going towards so that you can steer the ship towards that and i think having people around the team that do drive it forward i think for me I'm very acutely aware as the years have gone on how important it is that we do become a very successful business because really, you know, you've got to be able to drive that forward. Now, you do sit there and say when you launch a new product in a new area, could that put the other one at risk, right? Because you take a chance and you take a risk. But I think what I've seen is the more impact that that drives and the more success that that builds, the more that that grows the business. And I think, you know, you've got to keep your eye on the ball on both. Um, And I certainly think There are always times you have to sit back and go which is the right decision to make for the business and then which is the right decision as well you know for for growth going forward and you know that doesn't mean that sometimes you have to make compromises to move forward but I think we balance that well and you know I really do think that healthcare industries you know they they're born out of making people feel better and they're also born out of making enough money to continue to make more people feel better. So it's always about that balance.
1: Balance, indeed. Kira Clancy, an absolutely incredible and inspiring story so far. But do stay with us on the Architects of Business because still ahead, we'll be hearing Kira's thoughts on taking risks and starting a business at such an early age. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at joe.ie. Kira, thanks for staying with us. I mean, you talk about your passion at an early age to get into an industry where you could help people. That you wanted to make that your career. Was there any part of you back when you were young thought that could end up being, uh, you know, a, a, as an entrepreneur, or a chief executive?
0: No, absolutely not. No, no. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids, you know, I, I know that like within the networks I'm in, you know, there's, there's people who really are born to be entrepreneurs, as they say. And, you know, then they, they, I mean, they've really set up these small businesses and enterprises. I think for me, I was into sports, you know, it was a little bit academic. Um, and I think for me, I was very much driven towards, I suppose you know, the the jobs that were presented to me. Um, I was recently at a local enterprise award event for students and I had a 14-year-old girl come up to me and say that she saw me on the TV after uh, winning Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur for the local enterprise office. And she said, "Um, I saw you on the TV and I told my parents I wanted to create a company that would help people. And entrepreneurship was an option for her. And it made me realise that, you know, really entrepreneurship should be presented as an opportunity to help people on a larger scale. To me, I was presented with maybe nursing or physio or all of these areas where you could help people. But actually, entrepreneurship, you can change people's lives on a massive scale that you might not be able to do as an individual. And, you know, I think if it had been presented to me a little bit sooner as that, in that way, I would have considered it sooner. Um, But in some ways, I had to develop the skills that I did develop, which is how to help people on a smaller
1: scale without wanting to be too blunt about it I mean do you think it wasn't presented to you when you were younger because you're a girl or more to do with maybe Ireland's overall attitude to, to, to business and that this maybe the safe job is the better one to go for.
0: I think we've, we're have we starting to see entrepreneurship differently now. You know, I think that you can have entrepreneurship maybe was seen as, as certain types of businesses and certain types of industry, but technology has exploded that now. Technology can transform education. So if you're inter, interested in education, you could be a teacher, but you could also go into education technology. You know, if you are a doctor or you want to be a doctor, you could also look at how you take those skills and apply that to transforming healthcare, which really needs innovation. And, you know, same with finance or social, you know, that it's not as clearly defined uh, a path. And I think that's really good as well, that you keep your path open uh, to whatever opportunities present themselves. Um, I still think I'm a physio. I'm just a physio on a larger scale. You know, there's just this little bit of me that's still there. And that's okay too, because it doesn't stop me, you know, leading a business and managing my team and doing that, what comes with that as well.
1: Does it make you into a different type? of entrepreneur the fact that you you know you weren't looking at uh, buying and selling you weren't a dell boy when you were a kid Uh, you kind of almost you could say stumbled into it um, it was born of a, of a passion for, for what you do not not buying and selling. Does that make you different?
0: Yeah, well I think there's no cookie cutter mould to an entrepreneur. You know I don't think I've ever met two entrepreneurs who are the same and I think you know you do have to come to it with that certain mindset but I think it's to be acknowledged that entrepreneurship is it's a great journey and I think I have one of the best jobs in the world but it's also a very tough journey and I think you know people talk about passion like it's this light thing but I think when times get tough which they inevitably do and in in business you need to draw from a well of energy or resilience and that can come from being really really passionate about it now for some people that might be you know it can be the overall business uh, view overall vision of the business it can be cash you know it can be items or whatever you get from that but whatever that is i think that's what gets you overcome any of the roller coaster experience that is entrepreneurship gets you past those challenges
1: did anyone at any stage when you were just thinking of, of of doing this say to you hang on now this is going to, there's going to be some highs, but also some lows, and maybe you should try something, stick with the the, the the safe job.
0: Well, I think for me, when I first started, I mean, there's no blueprint to how to run a startup. So in many cases, or, or a business, in many cases, not knowing anything is quite good because you don't make any assumptions that what you decide will work. You are ready to pivot at any time. But I think for me in the early stages, I went to a lot of startup talks or business talks, and I saw... Presentations of what looked like an upward journey of success, right? No bumps on the road. So the first time I hit a bump, I looked around me and went, I'm not, maybe I'm not cut out for this because no one else has experienced these challenges who's reached the summit of success or whatever that is. And it was only through being part of networks like EY where entrepreneurs talk so openly, you know, who've reached great heights of success so openly about the challenges, you know, whether that was going through a recession or everything falling apart, And you do realize when you hear those stories, how important it is first to tell them uh, that it isn't this straight, easy curve of success, but also how important failure plays in a part of your journey. The sooner you make them, the better, right? Because the stakes only get higher, the bigger the business grows. So what
1: was the moment when you questioned or moments when you questioned, actually, maybe this is not the right road?
0: Back in 2014, we ran out of money and it was two years we cracked the ability to provide the technology and it was helping people and people were using it and we had a patent deadline due and they say we hadn't raised any seed funding at this point but they say in healthcare you know patents are a lot in raising for follow-on funding and we would no money left and I was in a competition at the time uh, where the prize money was 20,000 and it was two weeks to go and I tried every angle not to put hedge my bets on just one thing, but tried every angle to find some sort of funding and I went to the dinner two weeks in, and no other solution and I told no one. I told no one we ran out of money I didn't tell my team or my anyone I was working with at the time and it, I mean a lot of it was it wasn't just about the business, it was about people relied on this. I couldn't walk away. And you kind of have to have this almost sense of false belief that it will work out, um, but mm, it still gets at you. And we 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 won it. And I remember sending a, taking a picture of the novelty twenty grand check and texting the patent lawyer saying we're good for it, file <laughs> it, go because we would have lost it. And I also think that the business is run right. We've nothing left. Um, it would have. We might not be here today. But I think there's a lot of that. That you know when times get tough you almost can't accept the alternative. You have to find a way around it. And, you know, I suspect that there'll be more days like that to come and there's been more in the past, but it really is about how you overcome them. And I still think that for me, it was about looking at what it would be and what it could be and not choosing to turn. My you
1: brain. had your bacon saved there, didn't you?
0: I love it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> by... So there's luck. As yeah, <laughs>
1: by something that could have gone either way. Mm. Um, when you look back at it... Can you see a point where you said, actually, I I messed up there? Um, Maybe you should have seen that funding cliff uh, coming sooner. What what do you think you actually learned from that experience?
0: A huge amount. I mean, cash flow is so important and I think you know, that's why I talk about learning that sooner. At that point, we didn't have any employees, right? So if that was to happen now, it's a different deal. And I think learning that, the sooner you make mistakes, I really think the better, because again, it all changes. The bigger the company becomes, the more patients rely on, I mean, I was worried then, and there was maybe, I don't know, not that many people on the technology, if that was to happen now, it would be a much bigger story and much more people would be affected. Mm -hmm. And you learn from that at that time and you're glad that you faced it at that time because it could set you up for the future. But you're never set up to not experience more setbacks. You know, you are going to experience more as you go down the road. I mean, I'm six years in this and there's entrepreneurs in the EY network who are 25, you know, and you think about what they've faced over those 25 years or more. There's a lot more more than 25 years. But, so, you know, no matter what challenge you're going to face on your growth journey, there's someone to pick up the phone to. But you also know when you meet with each other, that there's this real ambition for growth that they share and see you, you know, your company could be 10 times smaller than theirs, but they see you on the same level with the same ambition for growth. And I think that's hugely important to be able to tap into that network. Entrepreneurship can be a unique experience sometimes. And speaking to people who've been through it before or are going through it is hugely valuable because It can be something as simple as have this issue that you think no one else has experienced before and just hearing someone say, yeah, had it last week. Here's what I tried. Here's what might work. And again, just knowing that they're there to support you and back you is so important. You know, you do kind of realise that those setbacks, they teach you so much and you do come out stronger and you do see things more clearly. And I'm happy for the mistakes or the failures that I've made because they've made me stronger into the future.
1: You did all this at a time, you know, in your 20s, when other people in their 20s. The biggest question on their minds was, am I going to go to Ibiza or Ayah on my holidays? You were asking different questions. Um, or, or were you did, you? did you still have time to live an ordinary uh, 20-something life? You're still in your 20s, for goodness sake.
0: I didn't go to Ibiza. Now. <laughs> um, but I, I, do you know, my friends were kind of aware. I did make my friends aware of what I was trying to do. So, you know, your friends do notice when you're not there on every Friday night out. Um, I did make a good few of them, but I didn't make them all. And I did make my friends aware of what I was trying to do. But I did have quite a group of friends who are, you know, in global health or in other areas um, within this space. So they kind of understood the vision I was striving towards. I think there's always compromise. I, I, I think work-life balance is a bit of a myth. I, I believe in work-life boundaries. Um I love what I do. So in some ways, you know, that gives me some balance in my life and that I feel like I have this
1: great What camp. do you mean by that now? That You don't believe in work-life balance, but work-life boundaries. boundaries what does yeah. that mean?
0: So I don't think you'll you'll always work a nine to five day and you'll come home and life will happen and work will happen. I think that it's about boundaries. So I could work crazy hours for three weeks in a row and then I'll set a boundary and I'll go surfing up in Bundoran and I'll come back and I'll go again. And I think it really is about setting a boundary to say okay now i'm going to step back a little bit um but i think balance seeking that balance all the time particularly when you're doing something that you're so passionate about it, it it's just i don't think it's 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 easily done and I think you've just got to say sometimes I'm taking a step back
1: it sounds like you've done a lot of thinking about this and undoubtedly the, the, the company you're you're building and you've built is for the greater good but I, I wonder just has there been a time when you just kind of said do you know something I really wish I was just doing something else right now or I really wish I could just take today or this weekend off
0: no, I love it. <laughs> I, lo- I just, I love what I do. And, I, like, it's incredibly inspiring. Like, we, you know, there's a 12-year-old girl, a uh, user of our technology, Chloe, and, you know, she, you know, her, her mom says, you know, she, she has a disability, but she turns it into her ability every day. You meet people like this, and, you know, they never stop. They're relentless, and they push for this better life and they push to do so much beyond their boundaries and you kind of just can't make any excuses for yourself not to continue to try and push to do the most you can do and you know I I want to acknowledge that there certainly are tough days you know there is no doubt about it there are days where you go in and it's it's tough and you're facing a lot but you know I've got letters and thank you cards on the wall you know uh, from people who've uh, achieved incredible feats and you just can't give up you can't step back when you see that and I'm incredibly passionate about what we do and I really think without that it would maybe be uh, a different story but for me it's driven by something that I really do think is important uh, for in in a selfish sense as well the fact that we'll all be affected by these two you know that that is important to me Um that the future of people with neurological conditions are managed in a better way.
1: What has to happen I think for you to kind of fulfill your your ambition, your potential. Um, Do you continue as you are building or do you need to get into a partnership with uh, another company?
0: I think, you know, part of the the B2B there is elements of uh, for certain rare conditions, partnerships make sense there. Um, But I think as an entity, we can continue to grow to the scale um, of being a major, I really do think that digital therapeutics will be an industry into itself or it'll be absorbed by the pharma industry. Um, but if it does, I think there's a real scope there to provide a suite of therapies for a suite of conditions, just like pharma has a suite of drugs for a suite of conditions. Um, and for me, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of neurological conditions that we will focus on directly and some we will focus on indirectly through partnerships.
1: Is this the type of world where artificial intelligence can play a part?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think AI, machine learning, these things are all core to a lot of the core technology that we develop has elements of modeling in it. And I think really it is about creating an understanding of conditions. I mean, one of the ways we we treat people is we provide therapeutics, but another way is we assess them and we gather understanding of these conditions. And I think big data and technology enables us to understand these conditions much better than we used to before without the limitations of um, needing to go into a hospital for a trial. You know, you could potentially understand millions of people with neurological conditions, symptoms across the world, and that would allow you to understand causation and various factors, which would ultimately, any greater understanding of these neurological conditions, which are so poorly understood, will no doubt make a significant mark on their um, condition and its outcomes
1: to finish off what um what are the your kind of key p- bits of advice for other people for that for that little girl who saw you on the TV and wanted to 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 emulate your business specifically one that helps people um what would you say to her if you got the chance to speak to her in person
0: I think I did. (laughs) I think find find a mentor. And I think having personal and professional mentors, the quicker your business grows, um, the faster you need to grow as an entrepreneur, as a CEO. But unfortunately, that's the time where you have the least amount of time to work on your personal growth. And I think that's where personal mentors um, play a big role. Uh, Caroline Keeling, who you interviewed recently, is a personal mentor of mine. These people really help you hack that growth and hack that knowledge. Um, And I think, you know, on the second side of that to, to someone younger, There's a little bit of me that would say back yourself um, because you will get advice, but ultimately you need to make the decisions to drive your business forward. And the sooner you back yourself and put down any, you know, they talk about imposter syndrome or all of these things, push those down and back yourself to achieve what you want to achieve, I think the better. Um, Because I think in many ways we can hold ourselves back and the more we back ourselves and the sooner we back ourselves, the better.
1: Kira Clancy, a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming in and talking to us.
0: All right.
1: Thanks for joining us today on the Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Kira Clancy, our producer, Patrick Hawey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to their website eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't forget you don't have to miss out on past or indeed future editions of the Architects of Business. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. While you're at it, check out some of Joe's other podcasts too. including The Hard Yards on Rugby, the GAA Hour and our movie show, The Big Review Ski. I'm Ty rice Thank you so much for being with us and I hope to see you again soon. Bye bye. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.